And I am live and I am back with today's message. And to begin today's message, call the book of life. If you have your Bibles with either a hard copy or or a device, turn to Matthew chapter 22 verses 1 through 14. And this is a parable that Jesus told and it was about the wedding banquet. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them. They are bidden to the wedding and they would not come again. He sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden behold. I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and treated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many, as they found both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in, I'm sorry, I forgot. I forgot to turn on the YouTube thing. So if you see this on YouTube, you're probably going to see what I'm getting ready to read off. But you people that see this on Facebook Live have seen the whole entire thing. So let me go ahead and continue on in verse 10. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together. All as many as they found both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servant, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So there has been many that has received an invitation, but they have not accepted that invitation yet. Now we're very familiar of getting invited to places and we're very familiar of the idea of booking something in advance so that we can stay at certain places. You know, when you go on a family trip or a business trip, you go online and you look for your hotel. You put your name in and you book a room for yourself. Now that hotel has the right to either accept you or reject you. Now, if you do not make the payment that you need to stay in that room, then the hotel has the right to blot out your name. 
and when your name is blotted out of the hotel then you are no longer invited into a hotel now you cannot go to a wedding without an invitation I mean you can try there are those so-called wedding crashers and they try to crash a wedding uninvited well we see that the parable that I just read the person that did not have the wedding garments on did not accept the invitation he tried to go to the wedding to another way he tried to go to the wedding his own way and this person that tried to go his own way ended up getting kicked out his hands and feet were bind and he was thrown out and when he was thrown into the art of darkness he heard weeping and gnashing of teeth now whenever we see in the bible weeping and gnashing of teeth and being cast into our darkness that is a representation of hell you see a lot of people go on life thinking that god will just accept them for who they are and they don't need to receive the invitation and or they can receive the invitation but they can still live their life however they want to do and they think this is they think that and so they end up in hell forever and ever now today's message is called the book of life and to begin in that message i will begin in revelation chapter 1 revelation chapter 1 and the verse that we spoken the verse that i will be focusing on is revelation chapter 3 verse 5 Revelation chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 is about the church in Sardis. Now before we talk about the church in Sardis, I want to begin in Revelation chapter 1 so that we can see the introduction of Revelation. We will know who wrote it, why he wrote it, and what was the purpose for the book of Revelation. And bear with me one moment. I am filling with my devices and there we go. All right, in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. and he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John. So the first verse in Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 identifies the recorder of revelation and that is John. John is going to record the things that Jesus will show him. And it is for the servants. I mean look in verse 1 where it says the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. His servants refers to the believers at that time. These are the people that have believed in Christ. They have been repented of their sins and they have been justified by their faith and works. So the book of Revelation is meant for believers. So that's why if an unbeliever goes to the book of Revelation, and he reads from chapter 1 and all the way to chapter 2 he is not going to understand it 
Now, he may know about it. He may know what is happening, but he won't understand it. And here's why. He won't understand it because he does not have the Holy Spirit. His spirit is not being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and in the King James Version, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, or he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Their spirit, an unbeliever's spirit, will not understand the Word of God. So, they will not understand the book of Revelation. Now, so far, we talked about who wrote the book of Revelation. We talked about who was it meant for. And now, we're going to get into the purposes on why the book of Revelation was written. Now, again, remember, the book of Revelation is meant for believers. And the three things, the three purposes in the book of Revelation is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. And let me read it, and then I will point out the three things that why the book of Revelation was written. And these are the words of Christ. Write the things which thou hast seen, and things which are and things which shall be hereafter. So there are three things that, there are three reasons why the book of Revelation was written. Those three things are the first one, the things that which he has seen. Now this refers to John. John is writing down the things that he has seen. And this is Revelation chapter 1. So things which he has seen is in Revelation chapter 1. We see John, he is into the Spirit. And in his Spirit, he sees Jesus. Now, the second purpose for Revelation chapter 3 is also again found in verse 19. And the things which are. And things which are refers to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And that is the seven letters to the church. And today's message will be focusing on Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, the church of Sardis. Now, the things shall be here after refers to the future. And that's after Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. So here's the introduction to the book of Revelation. And let me quickly sum that up. Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ that John recorded. And John records it for Christ's servants, the believers, the ones that have repented of their sins, have believed in Jesus Christ, and they are justified by faith and works. Now, the purposes for the book of Revelation is seen in Revelations chapter one, Revelation chapter one, verse nineteen, where the introduction is what's happening at the time, and it's written to the seven churches and is written for the future. And now, let us go and concentrate on the message of the book of life. And we will begin looking at that in Revelations chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And what I like to go ahead and do is I like to go ahead and read the chapter, and then we will point out the things that Jesus says about the church. And after we point out the things that Jesus says about the church, we will be taking a look at verse 5, where it talks about the book of life. 
and I want to put a little slack. I'm sorry if I move my hands too much. It's a terrible habit, and I'm making a conscious error not to move my hands. So if you're distracted by my hands from moving too much, I apologize, and I'm making a mental note to try. See, I'm already doing. It. Try not to move my hands, not so much. But when I get into the Word of God, I get excited, and you should get excited too. The Book of Revelation shows us how the end will happen. So the end should not keep us by surprise. And a lot of people think that the book of Revelation is mysterious and it's scary. Well, if you're an unbeliever, yes, you should be afraid if you're an unbeliever. Because the unbelievers will experience God's wrath. And so unbelievers should be scared. But believers should not be scared. The believers should be ready. They should be watchful. They should be alert on the end of times. And the only way that we could be alert on the end of times is that we have to trust the Spirit. Well, our spirit has to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we should be able to read this book daily from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. And instead of being experts of the world, like school, entertainment, or sports, which those things are vain. Those things are nothing. And I promise you that on the day of Christ, when you see him, he's not going to talk about, oh, who did you vote for? Oh, you voted for some, Oh, great. That was oh, awesome. No, he's not going to talk about that. Nor is he going to talk about, oh, man, did you see that football game? Oh, Liberty University fine beat Notre Dame. Oh, that's wonderful. No, he's not going to talk about that. And Jesus is not going to say, oh, did you see that movie? That movie was so awesome. No, he's not going to talk about that. Either he's going to say, well done, faithful servant, come on in. Or he's going to say, I do not know you. Depart from me. I do not know you. Now, if you're getting upset with me about what I just said, don't get upset with me. Get upset with God. Get mad at God. That way, at least God's got your attention. And what you should be doing, you should be reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, the Word of God is access to everyone. And in America, we have an average of at least five Bibles. But I guarantee that none of them are being read in each household whatsoever. And you want proof? Just go on your social media. Just go on Facebook. And just look at all the garbage and the horrible things that is on people's Facebook page. It's nothing but violence, sexuality, and all these worldly things that are not a friend of God, but an enemy of God. So if you are along with those things, you are not a friend of God. You are an enemy of God. And God doesn't want you to be an enemy of His. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. He resurrected. He paid for all the sins. And all you got to do is accept his invitation. You got to accept this invitation with repentance, believe in Jesus, confess with his mouth that he is Lord, and you will be justified by faith and works. And those works will be your works. You must bear good fruit. Because if you do not bear good fruit, Jesus is very, very clear that those who do not bear good fruit will be chopped up and thrown into fire. And whenever we see the Bible talk about being thrown into fire, and just like the outer darkness, the whipping and gnashing teeth, that refers to hell. And Jesus desired that no one should go to hell. He decided that no one should perish but have eternal life. But he is not going to force you to make that decision. He's not going to plead with you. If you decide to walk away and reject Jesus, okay, fine. Jesus is going to let you walk away just as he let the rich young ruler walk away and just as he let the disciples walk away after he told them that he was the bread of life. All right, I went off to a little Holy Spirit trail. The Spirit got me pumped.
I'm pumped. The Holy Spirit got me pumped up. And now, now we're all pumped up. We're getting ready to get filled with the Spirit and we're getting ready to receive His Word. Let's go ahead and jump into the Church of Sardis. Now, on the side note, the translations that I am using is going to be King James or New King James. And no, I don't think King James is the best one. As long as you're able to understand the Bible, that's an important thing. If you're an early believer and if you need a simple version where you could understand it, then by all means stick to that version and that is okay. I cannot judge you. Only God can judge you. And what God wants from all of us is that he wants us to get into his word. And that's what we'll do starting now. So turn your Bibles, please. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And Jesus says to the church of Sardis, and John is writing this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things say, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, and that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that you are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, there hold you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, the thing first that we should notice about the church of Sardis is that this church is dead. It is dead. And you cannot enter to heaven with dead faith. There is no way for you to enter into heaven with dead faith, which is what this church has. This church has dead faith. So what Jesus wants this church to do is to wake up, wake up, and be watchful. Notice in verse 2 where he says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Now the first letter the first church to receive the letter was Ephesus. And Ephesus was not like the church of Sardis. That they were very active. And they were standing upon the word of God against false doctrine. However, Christ still saw that they were lacking one thing. And in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now to know Christ's first love, you have to go back to where he was being questioned by either one of the scribes or someone. I have to go back and look at that How He was questioned about the law. And he was asked, which, law, which commandment is the best? 
And Jesus answered that question perfectly, which will be answering our question to what was the first love that Jesus was talking about in Ephesus. And he says, love God with all of your heart and with all of your might. That is the first commandment. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, Commandments 1 through 4 all refers towards our obedience towards God. And verses 6 through 10 refers to a love of our neighbors. And so as believers in Christ, we claim that we are followers of God because we love him. And Christ says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. And the way that we obey our commandments and the way we obey the commandments of Christ in the church is through the Great Commission. The Great Commission was written in the first five books of the New Testament. And it's basically... Go share me with others. Tell others what I have done for you. And by the Holy Spirit, you will make disciples of all nations. And see, Ephesus was doing the second works. They were defending their faith against false teachers and false doctrines. But they were not doing the first love. They were not being loving towards others the way Christ has commanded us. So as a church... We should love God and we should love people. Now, in the church of Sardis, it was not like that at all. The church of Sardis was dead. And these are the things that Christ was saying to the church. And Christ was not only speaking to the church of Sardis, but he's also speaking to the church today. You see, a lot of these churches, even though they no longer exist, they still kind of reflected to what the churches are today. And there are a lot of dead churches outside. In fact, a lot of dead churches today are like the nice tombs and during Jesus' time where he's talking, look at these whitewashed tombs. Oh, they look so lovely, look so nice. However, if you go inside them, they're filled with dead people. And we got a lot of dead people in a lot of nice churches. And so you see, there's a lot of churches today that are like Sardis. Now, so listen to the things that Christ says about the church of Sardis, because he's not only speaking to the church of Sardis, but he's also speaking to the churches today. Now, the things that Jesus says to the churches, the first thing he says, found in verse 2, and I already said it, but I'm going to say it again because it's worth it. And that is, wake up! Wake up! Be watchful! Pastors and church. Leaders strengthen your congregation so they could do the works perfectly. The first church that John wrote to was Ephesus, and I've already mentioned this. And so I don't think I should be able to mention it again. You know, we need to wake up. We not only need to wake up to be able to stand upon doctrine, but we need to wake up and we need to reflect to be the church that Christ wants us to be. Christ wants us to be a church that obeys him and that is doing the works. Christ wants us to bear good fruit because if we don't bear good fruit, we will spend eternity in hell forever and ever and ever. Now, so the first thing that Jesus tells the church started is to wake up. Now, in verse 3, it shows the next thing that Christ tells the church. He tells them, remember what was taught to them. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Now, what did they receive and heard? They received and heard the word of God. 
And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this to them, and it's also good for us to know this. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that unto and that from a child has known the holy scriptures, who are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to continue in the Word. And we should continue in the Word daily. Because when we don't continue in the Word daily, it's easy for us to forget what is in the Word. We become like James that looks in, we probably that person like in James, that who's just a doer of the Word and that just looks himself in the mirror and completely forgets what kind of man he is. So we are not only supposed to be hearers of the word but we're supposed to be doers of the word so that we don't forget who we are so in order for us to be doers of the word we have to remember the word and the way for us to remember the word is that we should be daily studying the word of god now I could probably tell you this, that there's a lot of people in this world, especially in the church that's dead, that they could tell me more about the political leaders. They could tell me more about their sports team and what's the best things of entertainment. But they can't tell me nothing about the Word of God because they don't know anything in the Word of God. They don't spend time to understand the Word of God. And I feel sorry for their souls because their souls are deprived. They are so hungry that they want the Word of God, but they allow their bodies to be subject unto the things of this world, and they consume the things of this world, and they have nothing but darkness, and that's why they're deprived, they get scourged, they get depressed, they commit suicide, and when you do commit suicide, you will spend eternity in hell like Judas. Now, I'm not saying this. It's the Word of God. Go in there and find out for yourself. If you get upset with God, if you get upset with what I'm saying about the Word of God, take it up to God. At least God will get your attention. Turn your TV off. Turn off the college football. Besides, they don't really care about Christians. I mean, the NFL a couple years ago, they didn't want Tim Tebow playing. It's not because he was not good. It's because he was a man of faith. He was not ashamed of the gospel. So the NFL cut him off because they did not want him to promote the name of Jesus. And no Christian did stand by him and went on strike and said, hey, listen, if you're not going to have Tim Tebow play in the NFL and proclaim Jesus, we're not going to watch you against. No Christian did that. No Christian stood by truth. So, let us remember. Sardis should, remember, should have remembered. Christ will remember the word. Now, the next thing that Christ told the church in Sardis is that hold on to things that you were taught. So in other words, don't remember, but hold on to it. Hold on like everything that you've got. Grip the word so hard that the enemy cannot pull the word out of your hand. So hold on to the word. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, Paul says, Prove all things. Prove all things. Well, how are you going to prove all things when you can't remember the word and that you have no idea what is in the word when you don't spend time in studying the word? How are you going to prove all things, you know? You know, Satan for the last 400 years has easily put his false doctrine in churches and pastors had even noticed it at all. 
Example of false doctrine that Satan has put in the church is a doctrine of once saved, always saved, and that does not come from the Bible. That comes from Satan himself. He wants Christians to be comfortable. And when Christians are comfortable, they will no longer share Christ with others. They'll no longer get into the Word. They won't hold on to the Word. They'll accept whatever is being taught. They'll accept it in the flesh. They'll accept whatever feels good. Oh, give me those itchy ears. Scratch my ears. Oh, yeah. So good. But the moment you start talking about hell, the moment you talk about judgment and sin, like, oh, no, don't talk about that. You know, I was saved by grace. Once saved, always saved. I don't need to know about that. I'm okay. Paul says, prove all things that which is good. So for us to prove all things that which is good, we not only need to know the word, we need to understand the word. We need to know this word like the back of our from Genesis to Revelation. And let me go ahead and say this. As a believer, you're not going to understand everything that is in the word. And even pastors or scholars that claim to say, hey, I know everything and I understand everything, they are lying. And so we need to understand in the word because when we think, oh, we understand everything in the word, we don't understand everything in the word. I promise you there'll be something else that you have not seen before and God has not revealed that to you yet. And it's probably what he wants to see how faithful you are to him before he reveals that to you. And when you understand the word more and more, God is going to reveal so many things that you're no longer stuck in the elementary and drinking milk of the false time. Once save, always save. You'll go on to other things. You'll grow. You'll be able to see that the Holy Spirit is active. His gifts are still active today. There's still prophecy. There's healing. There's speaking of the tongues. And man says those things have ceased to exist. And they took the Bible out of context when Paul says, these things cease to, they will cease to exist. And yes, they will cease to exist when the new Jerusalem comes down. Because when the new Jerusalem comes down, and when God establishes his kingdom in the world, those gifts we will no longer need. Now the gifts that we have, the purpose for those gifts are to build God's kingdom. And throughout the Bible, there are rules and things on how we're supposed to utilize those gifts. And those gifts are either to edify believers, to encourage them, or help unbelievers to believe. Now, as believers, we shouldn't necessarily ask to see signs and visions. That doesn't mean God can't give us signs and visions because God's already given us everything that we need to know to understand in his word. And yet still, God could give some visions and signs. I mean, look at what the things were said on Pentecost. You know, they, they quoted Joel that on the day of the Lord that your sons and daughters should be able to prophesy and they'll be able to see things. They'll be able to see visions, signs, and wonders. You know, so that's still happening today. Now, it may not happen to America because there's a lot of unbelievers and America is so comfortable that Satan doesn't have to worry about them. You know, it's places like, you know, people, places like in the Middle East and places like Africa and Asia where it's really, really dark. And Satan just got such a stronghold on that place because the Spirit of God is active in his life and they're getting persecuted and they're going through tribulation, which those tribulations will come to America eventually. At that point, we'll see who's the contenders and who's the pretenders. Now, continue on to what Christ was saying to the church in Sardis. Now, I've been going off to a rabbit trail, and I'm bringing us back. And let me kind of quickly point that out. To the church of Sardis, is he wants them to be watchful. He wants them to remember. 
He wants to hold fast to the things which are true. And through that, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 22, it says, Prove all things, hold fast to which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. So we shouldn't even trust, we shouldn't even look like evil, which is why Christians should not even participate in Halloween. I don't care who you are, you know, you should not touch that stuff at all. And Christians should not have their children playing with Harry Potter or any type of dark occult thing. And that includes DC, Marvel comic books. They're all from the pit of hell. They're all darkness and they do nothing for the spirit but deprive it. Now, the next thing that Christ told the church in Sardis, he's also telling us. And this is found in verse... Let's see. And then verse number three. After he told them, Remember therefore, remember the word, how you have received and heard the word. Hold fast, hold fast with study, understand it, hold fast, and repent. Repent. Remember Christ preached repentance first before he talked about the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, from the time that Jesus began to preach the gospel, he was preaching the gospel, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John the Baptist, the person that came before Christ, said the same thing. In Mark chapter 1, verse 4 and 15, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the Baptist of repentance for the remission of sins, and saying, This time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So before we could believe the gospel, before we could believe in Jesus, we have to repent. Repent. Now in the gospels, John and Jesus preach repentance to unbelievers. But John is speaking to believers in the book of Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, believers have gone their old way. They have put on their old self. They have been getting under the bondages of sin. So John is telling the church in Sardis. No, Jesus, Jesus is telling the church in Sardis to repent. And he's telling churches in America and churches throughout the world that are dead to repent. Repent. Now, I shouldn't have to be doing this at all. But there's a lot of pastors out there, so-called pastors, that have not preached the gospel the way it should have been preached. They've been preaching the gospel of comfort. They've been preaching the gospel of prosperity. They've been preaching the gospel of worldliness. And all those things go against Christ. And Christians, being dumb, have received those things as gifts from God, but they're really not gifts from God. They're gifts from down below. They're gifts of Satan that are being used to put them in the bondages of sin. So Jesus is telling the church in Sardis to repent. And Jesus is telling the church in America to repent. Now, the next thing that Jesus tells the church in Sardis, the next thing he tells them. And we can see that in verse 4 where he says, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know the hour I will come upon you. So what's Jesus saying to the church when he says this? What's he saying? He says, be ready! Be ready! You know, if there's a fire in your house, or you know that's about to be a fire in your house, 
you're not just going to sit there and idle around. You're going to feel the urgency. You're going to gather this, and you're going to be ready to get out. You're going to be ready. Be ready. And Jesus coming like a thief of the night, and people not knowing what hour is seen throughout the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, he says, Therefore, there it goes, here it comes, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Excuse me. In Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 33, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye do not know when the time is. So Jesus, again, in the Gospel of Mark, just like the Gospel of Matthew, tells his followers to be ready. In Luke chapter 21, verse 36, instead of using the word ready, he uses the word watch. Watch to be ready. Watch and ready are used interchangeably because they give the Christian the feeling of urgency of being ready. Luke chapter 1 verses 21 through 36 says this. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to accept all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So be ready. Now, so be ready is not in Luke chapter 21 verse 36. And don't say, oh look, he's adding to the word. I'm not adding to the word, but if you add what I just read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you look at Revelation chapter three, verse four, you will. I mean, Revelation chapter three, verse three, you will see that Christ wants His church to be ready. He wants His church to be watchful. He wants His church to be able to see the signs of the end times, so that we know that He is coming back and that we are ready. Are you ready? Can I get an amen? Now, I'm getting ready to get into Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, where it talks about the book of life. We're getting close to there. But I want to talk about keeping our garments clean and don't defile them. I mean, you see in verse 4, Jesus says this, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled. So in other words, these believers had not coveted sin. They had not lived their life in the flesh. They walked in the Spirit. And because they walked in the Spirit, they kept their garments clean. And this is what Jesus said to the believers that walk in the Spirit. He says right here, And they shall walk with me in white. Remember in the wedding where it talks about where people that got into the wedding bake, there were white garments? Well, this is the same thing right here where Jesus says, And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So for us to be worthy to inherit eternal life, we need to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Because the flesh is dead. It is dead. And when we choose, when our soul chooses to fulfill the lust of the flesh, we bring the flesh alive again and we become under the bondages of sin. Satan's got a hold of us. And so that's why we must walk in the Spirit. Now, when our garments is defiled because we walk in, in the flesh and not a spirit it's kind of what jesus said in matthew chapter 15 verses 18 through 19 but those things 
which proceed out of the mouth, come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, and adulterers, fornications, theft, false wisdom, blasphemies. Now, the few believers in Sardis did not defile their garments like that. And they are worthy to walk with Jesus. Now so far, we've taken a look at Revelations chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. And now we're getting into verse 5. Now, I already did a YouTube video last week. That was the first one of John Boardman Evangelism Ministry. And I was talking about how once saved, always saved is a doctrine out of a pit of hell. And the verse that convinced me that was in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Now, these are the words of Christ. <laughs> you can't go against the words of Christ. You can't change them. You can't add them. You can't take away from them. Christ is king. He created this world. We are under his authority. And so we need to listen to what Christ says. So this is what Christ said to the church. He tells them, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the church so first he who overcomes is he that lives in the spirit Spirit and not in the flesh. When we live in the spirit, we'll be worthy of new garments. And in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 19, Paul says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye should not fulfill lust of the flesh. For flesh lust is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. And look at the things that's listed. It's the same thing from Matthew chapter 15 verses 19. Same things. Look. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery. Fornification uncleansliness, lashfulness, and it goes on in verses 20-21, idolatry, video games, witchcraft, Harry Potter, hatred, if you hate your person, you know, that makes you a murderer, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, relevance, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So if you are a believer and you think that you could just go on sinning because you're saved under grace, then you are wrong. And I'm glad I'm using the book of Galatians because the book of Galatians is what 
people use to support the false doctrine, once saved, always saved. They take the word justified by faith. As long as I believe in Jesus, I get to go into heaven. But look at what Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 21 says. If that's what, if we're justified by faith and we go on heaven, this contradicts the theme in Galatians. It confuses the word. And God does not deal with confusion at all. Confusion comes from devil. Now, early on as a believer, as you start reading the word, you may not understand everything right away. But as you read more and more, if you put the word together, and remember, the word of God is about Jesus. It revolves around Jesus. And when you look at Jesus at the center of the word, it won't be confusing anymore. Just like it's not confusing at all. The false doctrine of once say, always say is not biblical. It's false. It's a heresy. And heresy is one of the things that goes in the flesh. It is wickedness. And those that practice heresy and all these other sins and they think they could be saved and practice these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not get in. In fact, they will be like that man that tried to get into the banquet on his own. They will be bound in hand and feet, and they will be thrown out into our darkness, whipping and gnashing of teeth. And not only that, their skin and their flesh will be burned forever and forever. It won't be extinguished. And they will look at other people that thought as they did as burning in the flesh and not going into extinction. And they'll be so far apart from one another because they can't stand being around with sight. It's so ugly. It's so nasty. And, you know, imagine going into a sauna, you know, the hottest sauna you could possibly think of. Now, when I was in South Korea this past summer, I got to go into the, one of the hottest saunas into the facility. And I probably lasted there in five seconds, but it felt like forever. I got out right away. I was like, oh, thank God. Well, when you're in hell, you're not going to have that option. You're going to have that feeling constantly, forever, 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 forever. And you're going to be like the rich ruler that was in hell, where he just asked, can I just have a drink of water? Nope, not even a taste of drink of water to relieve yourself. I'm not saying this. This is not John's word. This is God's word. It's the Bible. So again, if you get upset, you're offended. I don't really care if you're offended to God's word. You should be offended. You should be upset, you know. If you got discomfort, if you're angry, well, maybe that's where God's getting your attention. Maybe you need to spend more time in the Lord. You need to sit down and ask God and let him examine. Say, Lord, am I saved? Am I really saved? Now, the things that I just read about people that walk in the flesh... Not only are they seen in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Again, it's seen in Revelation chapter 21, verses 7 and 8. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and believing and the abdominal and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lakes which burn with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, Jesus wants the church to overcome by walking in the Spirit, our Spirit that the Holy Spirit bears witness to. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16, For as man is led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, where we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
So when we get saved, our inner man, our spirit gets regenerated. And our inner spirit connects with the Holy Spirit. And it's our inner spirit that convicts us when we go do things in the flesh and not in the spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that comforts us. The Holy Spirit, he convicts unbelievers. He convicts unrighteousness. He convicts those that go against God's word. Now, in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says this. Before, verse 14 through 6 says, For if ye live after the flesh. And he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to unbelievers. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, in other words, if you use the Spirit and if you do good fruit through the body, ye shall live. So ones that will overcome and the ones that will wear clean garments are the ones that will overcome by walking in the Spirit, bearing good fruit, and they will not walk according to the flesh. And when they do walk according to the flesh, that they'll immediately repent, and they'll examine their lives, and they'll see what's caused this. And Jesus himself says, it's better to go in this world with one eye. It's better to go in this world maimed and lame instead of the tyranny of hell. Now, Jesus is not talking about self-mutilation at all. That's a metaphor. What Jesus is talking about, whatever causes us to, whatever causes us to stumble, whether it be a TV, sports, video games, pornography, bad magazine, or whatever it causes that, we need to cut those things and we need to get rid of those things. We need to throw those things out. We need to be like the people of Festus that when they believed in Jesus, they took all their witchcraft doctrine, they burned it into the fire. So if you got things that's keeping you away from God, you know it, like music, videos, or whatever, you need to cut it out. You need to get rid of it. You don't need those things. Those things will never give you joy. They'll leave you deprived and empty, miserable, discouraged, depressed, where you just can't live no more. So you just take it out. Bang. It's true. That's the root of all suicide. A lot of people get upset. They commit suicide. Bang. Now, God doesn't want you to commit suicide. In fact, you know, Judas, if he would have repented, Jesus would have forgiven him. You know, but it was so awful. He saw how sin affected him so much. And it was so awful. He covered sin so much that it killed him. <coughs> now. Now, going down to verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life now how do we get into the book of life it's the gospel the gospel shows us that we get in the book of life by repenting of our sins believe in Jesus and the blood of Jesus the gift of salvation which is freely given to us, which is by his grace that he has given he has given to us and we receive the gift and we are justified by faith and works. Go look at the book of James. James is about, you have to have faith and works. Because without, works without faith is dead faith. And people say, oh, I believe. Well, you know who else believed? Without works, the demons. Demons believe in Jesus. We see that throughout the New Testament where, you know, demons, they believe in who Jesus was. But because they're so, because they're so sinful, they're not willing to give up. They'll never give that up, you know. These are fallen angels. 
And so they'll spend eternity in hell, even though if they, they believe in Jesus. And a lot of people that don't do the works, they don't bear good fruit. And even if they believe in Jesus, and but don't do the do works, they'll spend eternity in hell. I'm not saying this. This is not my rule. This is not my world. I didn't make it. Look in the Bible. Study your Bible. Study your Bible. You know, put down the Game Boys. Put down the Playstations. You know, in fact, sell them. Get some money back, you know. Feed your kids. They need some clothes. Now, now, one night when I was again Revelation chapter three verse, which is actually just past week, it wasn't too long ago. I make it sound like it's but years. Ago. That's not the case. Anyways, Revelation chapter three verse five. I was reading this and I was reading at different commentaries, and I want to watch a YouTube commentary. I want to see what other pastor says about this. I popped up and one famous pastor and one unknown pastor basically said the same thing. When pastors believe once saved, always saved, you know, this is how they're going to Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. They think that Jesus is talking to unbelievers. They think this message is for unbelievers. And when you think of that context, then yes, the book of Revelation is going to be very confusing, which is confusing, which is why early on I read from Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. So we're very clear that the Revelation was not written to unbelievers. It was written for believers. The servants of Jesus are the ones that repented of their sins. They're the ones that believe in their heart and confess with them out that he is Lord. And therefore, they are justified by faith and works and that is a servant of jesus and jesus is speaking to his service in the church of sardis so verse five is not for unbelievers but for believers now i'm gonna end this by talking about the book of life I'm going to show that the book of life is written throughout the Bible. And next week, I'm going to share with you on how you can get into the book of life. That will be next week's lesson. And you can see me sometimes I'm turning my head. I'm looking at a clock and I'm like, I have a clock down right here. Duh. I got to go pick up my son very soon, you know. So, all right, let's see. The book of life throughout the Bible. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, this is Moses talking to God. And this is right after the Israelites committed a horrible sin with the golden calf. And you got to remember, before they created that golden calf, they saw God. They saw signs and wonders. And they too believed at that point. However, they are so living in the flesh that they want to do things all on their own. So God was getting ready to judge them. God was getting ready to punish them. And Moses pleaded with them. He said, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. There goes, there goes repentance. If thou wilt forgive their sin. And if not, if you don't forgive their sin, blot me. I pray thee out of the book of life. Blot me out of the book of life. And we see blot out of the book of life in Revelation chapter 3 verse 5. And we see that in the Old Testament. So right there, that tells us in order for our names to be written in the book of life, we have to repent. Repent. Now, Psalms 69 verses 26 through 28 says this. For they persecute him thou hast smitten. And this is 
the psalmist writes, and they talk to the grief of those who thou hast wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity, and let them not come into thy presence. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. So in order for you to be in the book of life, you have to repent, and you have to be righteous. And we are righteous through the spirit and not through the flesh. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Every one of them shall be found written in the book of Lot. Written in the book. Philippians chapter, I mean, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 talks about written in the book. And when he says a book, it's the same thing as a book of life or a book of the living. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, And entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Again, Paul talks about the book of life. So we see Moses, the psalmist, Daniel, and Paul talk about the book of life and we see that throughout the whole entire bible from the old testament all the way to the new testament and not only the book of life is written in revelations chapter 3 verse 5 but is also written in other parts of the book of revelation revelation chapter 3 verse 8 says and all that dwell upon the lord shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world let me again read it and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. And his refer to Satan, the Antichrist. Those are the ones that will be worshiping Satan, and their names are not written in the book of life. Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall send out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that it was, and it was not, and yet is. Again, ch chapter 17, verse 8, continues to reiterate chapter 13, verse 8. People that worship the Antichrist, the devil, and the false prophet are people that do not have their names written in the book of life. And in Reve Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. So on God's judgment, there will be books. One will be the book of life, and the other books explained in verse 12 right here. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So the evil that people have done is recorded in the books. And their names are not in the book of life. And Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So people that did not have their names in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 27 says, And there shall in no wise enter it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the book Lamb's book of life. Revelation chapter 22 verse 19. And if any man take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from these things which are written in the book. Now, some of you guys might say, say hold on, hold on, hold on. 
I thought that you said the book of Revelation was written to Christ's servants. You know? And if we're believers, like you said, not like I said, but like the Bible says, if we repented of our sins, we believed with our hearts and confessed one to Jesus Lord, and were justified by faith and by works, then why are believers reading about people being put in the fire because they were not written in the book of life? And the question, to answer that question, goes back to where I read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. Be watchful. Be alert. This 